back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as always, I am joined by... Spooky Beth. Peppercorn Sam. And I'm Caleb. Oh no. Is it just going to increase in, in excitement every time? It's a, it's, I'm just trying to do a fun introduction. I don't know why you guys are already complaining. Jeez. Well, I appreciate we have at least 20 episodes... You have to leave yourself some runway. Oh my god. Yeah, you should have started the very first one off just totally monotone and then There's there's a plan. And then at the end have know. sirens or something. <laughs> Full send it. I may Air veto horns. the sirens on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have uh we have a tome in front of us. We are going to we're gonna start this book and then we're gonna start this book again. And then maybe start this book one more time <laughs> as we work our way through the uh, the many preludes and prologues of The Way of Kings. So good. They did it thrice. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we started today with uh, the prelude, the prologue, and then chapters one and two, which almost get us all of the, the introducing of things that we need. And I'll, I'll bring that up when we start part one. Uh, but... Yeah, it's uh, it's quite the time span that we covered. I think we can we can go ahead and get into it because uh, we need to rewind the the clock in universe a bit to to get to this prelude. And I'm I'm going to be very curious uh, what we all think of this because it's this book throws a lot at you. Like <laughs> I I don't think it quite has the vocabulary onslaught of like Elantris. But definitely the the kind of world that we're we're heading to, uh, it's uh, it's pretty out there. It's definitely different, yeah. But yeah, we uh, we did start with the prelude to the Stormlight Archive, uh, which Brandon does differentiate between that and the prologue to this book. Uh, and we're going to meet two characters. Uh, and then, spoiler alert, at the end of this prelude, we're going to go 4,500 years into the future. Uh, so, <laughs> most likely we'll not be seeing them again. Yeah, if the sheer size of this book wasn't enough of an indication that you're you're in a tome, you're in a, a, a big old chonky fantasy tome, I think the 4,500 years later might just tip you off. Yeah, that's uh, that's tectonic time there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a, a lot that can happen in that amount of time. I remember from an episode of uh, the Writing Excuses podcast where they were talking about this book in particular, uh, Howard, one of the other hosts, described when he was reading The Way of Kings in one of its early drafts for the first time, uh, and he finished the prelude and was was very excited by it of the things that have been set up in this short chapter and he he remembered thinking all right now it's it's on let's see where this is going to go and then turns the page and sees the text 4500 years later and said oh <laughs> let me tell you where it's going to go <laughs> it's somewhere totally different to Zeth Zunsun so Zeth we'll get there we we sure will <laughs> The pronunciation fights begin. Uh -huh. oh, uh, but yeah, we, we do start with the, the prelude to the Stormlight Archive. We have uh, Kalak, who this is the, the aftermath of some sort of enormous battle, which we do not actually get to see. Uh, but it was 
from what we see, pretty uh, pretty cataclysmic. Also, big ups continue to go to Brandon for starting with the POV name of the person as the first word every time. <laughs> yeah, we get that for uh, for a couple chapters here. I, I will say, when I heard there was going to be a prelude to the entire series, I was kind of just expecting, like, similar to the back of the book of mostly lore and just, like, here's here's how the world works. Here's where things stand. And I started reading, and I was like, oh, no, it's actual story. We're, we're, oh, yeah. we're starting with, like, <laughs> normal story. I mean, it's not normal. There's a lot happening. But... Um, already the format of the prelude to the series is different from what I expected. Yeah, I was expecting something a little more Silmarillion-esque. Yeah. The longest word I've ever had cause to say. <laughs> That's a good one. I Yeah. That sounds like a particularly devilish word to use in Hangman. <laughs> one of my personal Hangman favorites is Kafka-esque. It's a good one. That's what made me think of it, that mm-hmm. it was the esque. My, my other favorite Hangman word is ox. Just oh, OX. <laughs> yep. Isn't like jazz? No, jazz isn't. It's not Hangman. It's something else. I've seen. I believe I've seen jazz cited as one of the best words in Hangman. You get the J. You get the A after ten tries, and then nobody guesses Z. So yeah, what uh, what happened in this scene? I'm I'm curious overall. Like I don't know how much we want to go beat by beat through this uh we'll get to to some of the things once uh we meet our other character and here comes our our name uh our pronunciation uh debacle uh, <laughs> in stormlight they are j is pronounced like a lot of scandinavian languages and so kalak will be meeting up with yesrian oh all right <laughs> <laughs> well, the rest of the word doesn't look Scandinavian at all, so I, I don't know. Okay, fine. There's going to be a lot of pronunciation wars in this book. I'm, I'm just letting you guys know. That may be the case. But yeah, I'm curious, like, when we go through the rest of the Stormlight Archive, we'll learn a lot of the you know, historical events of what occurred here. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious for, for Sam and Caleb how much you you piece together of what is uh what is happening to to these two people <laughs> because they've they've survived this battle and they're apparently um they're the only two here to meet up even though it was supposed to be a large group but uh yeah what what's the actual like thing that's happening to them uh i'm i'm going to start by just reading out my first few notes of this section which is a thought I've already said for the podcast. I really expected the prelude to be just lore. I did not expect dialogue. My second note. God, there's so much. <laughs> In reference to things that I feel like I need to be writing down. Okay, yeah. It kind of reminded me of like Edge of Tomorrow a little okay. bit. Okay. Um, Where there's, there's looping going on. Yeah. I don't know if that's precisely what it is, but that's what it seemed to imply. Um, is this also the asterisk of like people who die die? Or is uh, that something else? Kind of. Like the the asterisk on that is like there are there are ways to magically resurrect a person. It's just usually they happen like immediately or with Ma- magical resuscitation. Yeah. Uh but the the idea of like 
this person died, you know, 80 years ago and we are going to go resurrect them is is the kind of thing that doesn't happen. All right. I, yeah, I guess I can go into some of my notes, which is first 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 word of got to write that down is thunderclast. Um who are apparently these big rock creatures that seem to have a life force within them. And big um, hands. With big ol' hands, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, my next note is um, Kalak. Again, pronunciation war starting off right away, Justin. Um, uh, uh, Kalak dies and is reborn consistently and has to go to question mark hell? Question mark? Because <laughs> um, I didn't... The vibes are very um, Edge of Tomorrow, but the way I'm kind of interpreting the, the little information we have is um, they are... F- I actually got more Old Guard vibes of they fight and they often die, but as long as they win the battle overall, they, they succeed in their mission. They're kept someplace else that sucks, where it seems like they're like tortured <laughs> for years, and then... They are brought back into the world at a later point to fight another battle. And that's like their entire life, which for the record, sounds like it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, given that it sounds like it sucks, the the actual event that occurs here that we do get to see, because we don't see any of the battle, we just see kind of the the scarred battlefield, uh, is that uh, Kalak and Yezrian are here. And they decide that uh, they're not going to do it anymore. That there is there is some sort of oath, uh, or in fact, the the capital o- oath pact. Stormlight does like its its compound words. We'll, we'll get <laughs> lots of those. That one in particular is a little feels a little tautological. <laughs> it is both an oath and a pact. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yes, 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 Rian, I know. <laughs> it's sacrosanct. Which means sacred, sacred. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess that does happen. Also, if the shards they're making are already, if the shards they're using to make shard blades are already sharp, that's also redundant. <laughs> but yeah, as uh, as as Yezrian says, uh, we chose this burden. We can cho- we can choose to drop it because they're they're done. They've they've gone through this cycle. We don't know how many times, but it certainly seems like quite a few. And both the battle part and the being tortured in between part are both awful. And so they've decided that they are going to set down this this burden and just kind of leave. Well, most of them get to do that. Most Mm. of them get to do that. The ones we see all get to decide that. (laughs) Sorry, Talonel. Yeah, I was really feeling for them, and then there's just kind of like it. It it's almost set up like Yezran is gonna like make this really harsh decision, and maybe Kalak will will fight back against it, and he does for like three lines of dialogue, and then he goes, "Yep, yeah, you're right. I'm gonna give up too." Yeah, <laughs> and like I I understand, but also man, Talonel's getting really fucked over by this. <laughs> yeah, the uh the one of them who died, uh which is apparently a uh normally some considerable number, number of them will. Uh Talonel 
who is known for kind of charging into impossible parts of the battle, uh, was the only one who died this time. And so what might just happen is that he's going to be the only one who gets kind of left behind in whatever torments they usually suffer. Yeah, I do love the clever detail of um, Kalak is thinking to himself about how oddly enough he had survived, which does imply that, yeah, usually most of them die. Mm -hmm. They also do say east somewhere in here, so I guess they do still say west and east sometimes, even though the Rose Contest <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> Always gotta gotta take a look at what direction things are in. After Elantris, I, every Rose Compass I don't trust. <laughs> but yeah, at the, the end of our prelude here, we get a uh, a very, very cool image that gets created where uh, the these two here, plus the seven who have previously made their decision, take their swords uh, and drive them right into the stone. And so as they walk away... Uh, you have this ring of nine swords and one very conspicuous gap. And that's where our, our prelude ends. Which, it's, again, knowing that this is the prelude to the entire series is very interesting because it really feels like, hey, these next... Did I, did I hear correctly that it's going to be ten books in total, the plan is? Uh, yep. Ten books as two five-book cycles. Gotcha. The next 10 books are all in some way going to be the story of how this one guy got fucked over by his nine comrades who didn't want to go to hell anymore. What a bunch of whiners. <laughs> Just uh, shut up and go back to hell already. <laughs> I know you won. Voluntarily return to hell. I, it'd be a hard sell for me to voluntarily return to hell. Yeah, oh, yeah no, I'm like... It's fucked up, but I also fully understand the vibe. It's just, it's the fact that it's like, well, we'll just make that one guy do it since he happened to die this time. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just really interesting. We haven't even met Talonel, and I am, given that he apparently is still part of the cycle and is going to keep coming up, apparently they're always summoned to the Desolations with a capital D, and I'm assuming we're going to find another one eventually. I assume we're going to see him again, but we haven't met him yet, and he's already such a fascinating character and as we find out from the 4,500 years later thing this is all his backstory so we like we weirdly know a lot about him even though we also know very little about him and I am fascinated to see um what his deal is going to be because I'm assuming we're going to find him eventually still having to be in hell or having freshly come from hell uh and yeah it's rough man but yeah that uh that's what we have there 4,500 years ago. And then we start book one, the way of Kings. And we get to see what the, uh, what the consequences of all that is going to be to you in 4,500 years, depending on when this episode gets uploaded, that might be a very cool and timely reference, or it might be several weeks to a month old. I don't, I do. Should it's Attack, we of, know Titan. What the it's Attack of Titan. No, this oh. is Attack of Titan stuff. <laughs> is the 4500 years a reference to how long it'll take for attack on titan to end no it's gonna take way longer than that beth <laughs> so uh we we get a an actual like title page for the way of kings uh and then i do want to get to the first line of this book because it's cool uh but we do have we have a few things actually before we get there 
starting with another map. More maps! <laughs> There's a place called Hearthstone. There is. They get to play a bunch of card games there just all day long. The gates are open. <laughs> that is... I. I hope that we get to see Hearthstone and precisely just card games occurring there. But yeah, there's some cool stuff in here. There's something called the Sea of Spears. There's a place called Deathbend. It feels very much like a, uh, as is as is the custom with the Cosmere, a fantasy world that's probably not doing too well. If, if you have to call something <laughs> Deathbend. Yeah, that's a. Uh, Although not, I guess we do summer. have a we have a we full on have a Death Valley. In Death Valley, life, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe right, but that's that a that, that's a place that I don't want to be. That's true. <laughs> uh, we also, if you look at the the annotations here, we can see that this is uh, Alethkar and surroundings created by His Majesty Gavilar Colin's Royal Surveyors, circa eleven sixty seven. So the the big map that we looked at in our intro episode, this is a a zoom in on that, presumably. Although it is it is rotated as the, it says that it it has. It's been made so that it fits on the page. <laughs> Fair enough. And then, yeah, just kind of a little bit of extra world building. We have a region called Kolin and a city called Kolinar, which you know, feels very fantasy. You're going to actually very real life as well. You're going to name certain things after the important people um, since Gavilar Kolin is the king. And then uh, as we start our prologue, we have uh, we have chapter titles in this book, so we'll get to see just what uh, what those have in store for us. And we start with the prologue to kill, uh, and we have a very cool header banner with a uh, a small portrait of uh, a character that we'll meet very shortly, uh, and some kind of interesting symbols all around the the outside of it. Yeah, we've got some T.J. Eckelberg eyes. Um. And uh, also a very familiar looking king, because that king also shows up on the borders of the uh, th the thingy, the the open, uh, the, the, what do you call it? Cover art. Mm hmm. The uh, the inside cover, the the symbol or the, the chart of all the different symbols. Yeah. And also the, the Silver Kingdom's uh, map, mm -hmm. they have the same faces and he is in the top left or top right corner depending on which one you're looking at huh. and then the last thing before we we start uh, the prologue itself we have epigraphs again which means we have a new puzzle to solve mm. yeah we do but we also uh, like we get information we get epigraphs that are a quote and then information about the quote but not yeah. much information no <laughs> it it just a like a small label this one, the, the quote itself is, is uh, kind of mysterious and ominous. Uh, the annotation says that it was collected on the first day of the week Pala of the month Shash of the year 1171, 31 seconds before death. Subject was a dark-eyed pregnant woman of middle years. The child did not survive. Which is both not a lot of information and very specific information. Yeah, this is it's weird the whole faces of death thing that we're doing here with the with the epigraphs apparently. Um and it it, it kind of takes away some of the twisty options uh that we saw in the previous books because it's not written by a single person as we'll see. 
and it's attributed in the text itself, which uh, means that it can't be like a, oh, surprisingly, it was written by this person or this person. It's not actually this person. So uh, I don't I don't know. We don't have enough yet to really draw a pattern, but um, we know that it's people before they die. And we also, in case the prelude didn't do it, have solved our Elantris problem of this feels kind of like a kid's book. <laughs> because yeah we just have a, a dead unborn child as well as a dead mother and the first yeah. text of the book proper yeah boom right there yeah i was just thinking the top half of this page where we don't get ac- any actual story content still sets quite a grim tone <laughs> prologue mm-hmm. to kill here's a man looking sad in the rain with a sword here's a quote from a dying woman her child's dead too anyway Here's Seth about to go do a murder. <laughs> anyway, Seth, son, son, Volano, truthless of Shinovar, wore white on the day he was to kill a king. Which, if you treat this as the first line of the book and not the beginning of the prologue, might be one of my favorite opening lines of a Sanderson book. But I feel like that's also probably skewed by me just liking the contents of this book and knowing, like, what's actually going to happen. There's a lot to unpack right there, huh? Yeah. That's dope. I I've there have been a lot of cool a lot of cool descriptions and epithets given to a lot of characters over the years. Truthless is a really interesting one. Yeah, of the uh the, the first seven words, uh we know what of means, we know what sun means, uh <laughs> we saw Shinovar on the map, and then we've got uh, two names and a, a a new made up proper noun that sounds ominous very ominous so it's seth 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 Zeth. Oh, it's God. probably Zeth. one of those <laughs> i i went to uh i went to school uh there was an exchange student in my high school whose name was piot it was spelled mm-hmm. p-i-o-t-r and mm-hmm. people would say so pete piot and he said no it's piot because there's an r at the very like the last half syllable is an r and he would get mad if people mispronounced it yeah there's a there's a whole bunch of of things that are physically possible for a person to pronounce but if you don't speak that language they're very hard to actually distinguish or say i think most people like you can mostly ignore the s at the beginning of zeth i think that makes sense all right zeth sun sun Valano. Slightly unhinged emphasis, but I'm here for it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as as this first line says, he is here to kill the king. Uh, it does amuse me slightly that uh, famed unfinished fantasy series, The King Killer Chronicles, zero kings have died. Uh, <laughs> other large fantasy series that started being published around the same time, the Stormlight Archive, uh, King dies in the prologue. <laughs> Brandon looked over at Pat Rothfuss and just went, bet. <laughs> the, the characters in that book are just really bad at their jobs, but they're they're getting better. It's all it's a story of redemption. One day. So I heard we're killing kings, eh? <laughs> sure are. Uh yeah, he he has been uh been hired by the Parshendi, who we will see in a bit. Uh he is wearing white because it is it is their tradition. Uh, and he does not ask for a lot of detail. He just kind of does the thing. 
Which, <laughs> it can't be emphasized enough, is assassinating a king. Is assassinating one thing. of the most powerful people in the world. It yeah. takes some doing. It doesn't just do it right away. Yeah. But yeah, we are, we're here at a party. Uh, there's a, a large celebration going on tonight, and we see just a little bit of it as Seth is kind of leaving. There are there are drums being played, uh, which it uh, it says that the the Alethi uh, think of of drums as as kind of a, a common, uh, an unsophisticated instrument. Uh, but Zeth notes that they are uh, at this point everybody is pretty drunk, and so you know what drums sound pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the Alethi look down Bershendi, except when drunk. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, we so we have at this this party we have uh, the Alethi people, and we'll get to know uh, several of them at least briefly as as Zeth walks by. Uh, and then we have the uh, the Parshendi, who Zeth describes as men with skin of black marbled with red. And uh, they are they are apparently related to the the Parshmen. Uh, the the name Parshendi means something like Parshman who can think, but uh, neither side really like treats that as as an insult. It's just a just a name. Uh, as Zeth is leaving, or as as he's going through kind of the main room of the party, we see a uh, a small gathering of people. We have uh, Dalinar Colin, the king's brother, who is nearly passed out drunk. Uh, we have uh, mention of both of the king's children. Uh, another uh, J name, this is Yasna, uh, who is not here. Uh, but Elokar, his son, is here, uh, and his father is not. So Elokar is kind of the the one in charge in the room right now. It's, it, it's interesting the way that this scene plays out, because... Zeth is an outsider to a lot of this culture. He's remarking on the things that the Alethi do that he finds strange. But we're outsiders to all of it. So it's I feel like it's a it's a weird kind of thing where, you know, he 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 talks about how uh, you know, they're they're using stormlight for illumination and how how profane and and disturbing that is when we have no context for this. <laughs> These things, what do they mean? Yeah, it's not quite. It's not as not nearly as arrogant as Raithen, but it's a similar vibe of like, this guy doesn't seem like a good person. He is about to go kill the king, but we are seeing the world through his eyes and getting a lot of information based on both what he sees and what he thinks of what he sees. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I don't get like bad guy vibes from from Seth so far. It's interesting because. Aside from the part where he kills the king, who, like, right. we don't even know the king. That might be a good thing. Like, assassinations of, of kings, usually bad. But yeah, the, the I think the vibe isn't that bad. Good vibes, this assassin. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the main character from Braid. No spoilers. Let's see. Going on from the, uh, the feast itself, uh, we have... Uh, I like this this description of this little tradition, uh, the beggar's feast, where there's this this massive party with all of the kind of nobility and and royalty here, uh, but then there's there's also 
a uh a feast that they they serve food for kind of some of the the people who like live in the slums or on the streets or whatnot and it's like you know we, we don't have time to get into the socio-political factors of this country that we're only going to see very briefly before we time skip again but it's like that's that's a, a cool interesting bit of of world building there and an underrated Les Mis song <laughs> it is underrated that's a good one <laughs> i'm gonna go with correctly rated on that one it's fun it's it's one last fuck you to the audience before it's like no no it's okay you can feel good it's a happy ending it's perfectly great it's like no no sometimes people are shitty and they just get away with it yeah <laughs> going on from here uh zeph actually does get to to leave the the people at the party behind uh, and we have our first uh, interesting link to uh, the events of 4,500 years ago uh, as he is uh, he's looking at these statues depicting the Ten Heralds. Uh, and our names are not quite the same. Uh, we do not see uh, Yezrian, Kalak, or Telenel, but we do see Yezerize, Kalek, and Telenelot in these statues i thought that was a lot of fun that over thousands yeah. of years they're not going to use the exact same names yeah i think that's very cool and they have all building off of something sam noticed last time all of these versions are uh palindromic um which is yes. not the case for yesrian og yesrian mm-hmm. <laughs> i think one of the one of the most curious things that we see from Zeth's own perspective uh, is uh, as he's walking down the hall he he thinks another thing that's profane is uh, walking on stone which seems like quite the restriction uh, but uh, he he considers that to be profanity uh, but he is truthless and so does as his master's command what's going on with you man what's your deal <laughs> seem to have a lot, a lot. of <laughs> convictions here yeah and yet simultaneously none at all right yeah he 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 does he, he has very strong internal feelings and he carries out his task very strictly but also that task is exactly what someone else told him to do it seems like to the letter so quite a quite a contrast there uh, we get explanation as to why he is wearing white on the day he is to kill a king, uh, which is that, as as they say, uh, if you were going to assassinate a man, he was entitled to see you coming, which it's just a cool image. It's really cool. And that's one of my favorite things about the um, uh, I've got a, I'm a comic nerd out for a second. In the Moon Knight comics, um, there is a point where um, someone points out to Moon Knight, hey, if you're going around the streets in the middle of the night and you're wearing all white everyone's gonna see you coming and moon knight's just like good they should be afraid of me i want them to see me <laughs> that's rad it's really cool uh as he is is continuing on uh, it's not our first one there was one a, a couple of pages ago but we have a uh we see some flame spread uh, around the uh the torches yes we've seen music spread and flame spread now yeah we're gonna we're gonna see some spread and we're going to see some more in the the next kind of little bit. 
We're going to see some spread, and then we're going to see more, and then we're going to see more, and we're going to keep seeing more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Roshar. There are spread. Mm. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I feel like Sam and I are probably on the same page currently. I'm willing. To, I'm willing to hear out a little bit more, but I, I think. That's that's the one element of the world building that I'm kind of like I could take it or leave it. I, I am not too on board with the spren currently. Uh, and there's fear spren that come out of the walls. What the fuck are spren? There's rock spren too, and hunger spren, and Hate river spren, spren. <laughs> wind spren. That's my like, if if we get a good like explanation for how they work, then I'm gonna be more on board with it. But as of right now. I, my issue is that it seems incredibly arbitrary what kind of spren there are. And it's just like, oh, Brandon wants to s- spice up a scene a little bit. There's a new kind of spren now. And I don't know. It's just very, currently it feels very off-brand for Brandon to be so arbitrary with what appear to be magical creatures. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's, I, I'm not fully sold on the spren yet, but we'll see. I think the one part that sort of sold me was later on a little bit in this chapter when he follows the fierce friend to like find where the guards are. That is seemed. I like, yeah, I do like seeing characters interact with them, but anytime it's just like briefly mentioned, Oh yeah. Oh, there were some spread there too. It feels, it it feels arbitrary. That's, that's my main problem with it currently. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, we, uh, we don't have a lot of time to focus on the spren, because uh, there's about to be a, uh, a fight breaking out. The uh, Near the top of, of page 24, there's uh, a note that I don't think has been explicitly mentioned yet uh, on how alliances are, are shallow things and this one would not last the hour. Uh, this party is celebrating a treaty between the Parshendi and the Alephi. At this party where the Parshendi have hired Zeth to assassinate the king of the Alethi. Top stuff. That's that's what <laughs> most people would consider a party foul, I believe. That's a pretty big one, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Zeth encounters uh, some of the uh, the royal guard. Uh, we have we have another mention of eye color, which we've we've seen a couple times in relation to kind of social stature. So that's uh, that's starting to be a thing as well. And they kind of try to just shoo him off. Uh, and then we see our our first person do a, a magic thing. And this kicks off into a, a whole big magical fight scene. Uh, and it's cool. <laughs> it's really cool. It is very cool. As I wrote in my notes a little later, um, you know, Caleb said this book fucks i say this book got the second base like it's it's pretty good <laughs> i think my main problem with it is it's a, effectively like the gmod tool gun <laughs> but he's really good at using it so it's still fun to watch <laughs> he, he is very good at, <laughs> at the rope tool we do shortly find out what the other lashings are, but my mind was absolutely blown when a really cool thing happened. And then we get the additional information of this is considered a basic lashing. This is like the, the most normal of the three. Um, and yeah, just gravity manipulation is really cool. I feel like I, I, I like picturing it in my head, like it's a movie and I feel like you could have the camera tilt to represent where the gravity was currently pointing for Zeth. Mm-hmm. 
and oh, that'd be great yeah i think it'd be really cool you could set it up like the old boy fight like you could see the whole hallway but then the camera flips as he falls down the hallway and into the yeah. guards it's really cool yeah this is some like inception hallway fight next level shit it's yeah. very cool uh, especially cool about is the fact that I think it goes in, it says a little bit later that these guys haven't seen this for two millennia. Like, this is not a thing in their wheelhouse. Right. What's happening here. Yeah, these these poor guards here. Yeah, Zeth has has breathed in the the light from the uh, the lamps in the walls. It, it, like, charges him up, kind of. And then he, yeah, he, he starts manipulating manipulating his own gravity basically it's it's not uh he, yeah he he takes this long hallway and just falls all the way down it uh and then he starts manipulating other people's gravity where he he takes one of these guards and sends him onto the ceiling i should i should find and and post to our discord i've seen some really cool fan art of this fight uh, and I believe the the image was drawn from the perspective of the guard who gets stuck to the ceiling. So you see you see Zeth and and the first guard fighting above him, and he can't do anything. It's it's really cool looking. And then we have uh, Zeth's next enormous advantage here, uh, which is his shard blade, which uh, it says at the tenth beat of his heart it. Uh, it appears in his hand. Uh, it is this long, thin sword, uh, and it is a fantasy lightsaber, kind of. <laughs> uh, it says it uh, it will cut easily through anything inanimate, uh, and and we see him do that later in this this sequence. Uh, but when he when he strikes a guard with it. It goes kind of right through the guard, uh, and as it as it says, it severs the soul itself. It just kind of kills him where he stands. So that's terrifying. But in a nice PG thirteen safe fashion, <laughs> he's been sent to the shadow realm, guys. It's okay. He's fine. It doesn't slice his neck. It sliced his soul. Much better. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. Somebody's going to get impaled through the chest with a big log of wood later. I just, <laughs> I just really want, like, uh, you know, the uh, to picture the the censors like watching this future mm-hmm. possible movie and being like, "Oh, okay, I see you're going for PG 3 Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's out the window. Yeah, <laughs> just like Avalar. Oh. <laughs> we'll get there when we get to it. We're not there yet. <laughs> Uh, probably one of the I think most cruel things that Zeth does during this fight is he kills the one guard just by letting him fall onto the spear. Yeah, that was that was really yeah. fucked up. I it's cool, it's cool as fuck, but it's also really messed up. Just because it it takes so long comparatively, and like mm-hmm. it's described that the guard sees it and knows what's coming, and like gravity slowly starts to right itself. Yeah, it's it's bad. Anyone remember the uh, the opening scene of Serenity, where the operative just like punch paralyzes that guy, and then just kneels down and holds his sword up and waits for the guy to fall over onto it. 
forgot about that scene. Yeah. So yeah, Zeth has uh, has very efficiently uh, gotten past the the first of the guard, and and then after his his first fight there, he gets to just kind of like, it's not stealth his way through this palace because as is mentioned, he has been told to to make a scene of it, and the the guards were yelling, uh, but he does kind of like he he goes through a door and and keeps it shut with more of his his lashings. Uh, and then starts just like cutting through the walls to just say, I'm going to go this way now. <laughs> yeah, it's so, this, this prologue is especially jarring in comparison to how we experience the magic systems in previous books that we've read. Because like in Mistborn, we got uh, some Allomancy priming and then fully got to see Kelsier unleash later in Elantris. We saw Raiden study Aeondor for like two thirds of the book before he actually got to use it. And now it's like, we're 20 pages in and this man is a one man army with this magic and he's just going to go uh, kill a bunch of people and cut through the walls and he just gets to do that. And we're like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, depending if you count sharp blades as a separate thing, two sets of magic he's just using yeah. the full effect. Yeah. And it's very cool. Yeah the going to the the next part of this this fight that significantly changes things uh is when the when Zeth actually finds the king's quarters uh he sees the king being kind of bundled away by the rest of the guard uh, and then there is there's one remaining person who's going to to stay and fight uh, and who is is fully clad in shard plate. And one thing that I really like about Stormlight is that it is the 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 series is the world building is equal parts like deep, intricate, like fully thought out lines of what would happen if the world worked like this and what would the consequences be and all that. And also rule of cool, and then using the <laughs> two to justify each other. Because what we have here is power armor. Like, straight up, this is power armor. But it's cool, and then we're going to see how things like this make sense. So, now Zeth gets to fight a guy who is uh, is also wielding a shard blade and is in magic power armor. He said power armor with a six-foot-long shard blade. So now it's time for more Inception hallway tricks. Yeah, this this one we actually get like a sustained fight between the two of them. Uh Zeth does note that uh he uh he personally does not have plate, uh but also he wouldn't want it because it doesn't work well with the the gravity manipulation that he can do and he'd rather do that. And and we see in this fight he's quite effective without the the plate, you know, just don't get hit. More people in fights should try that. Just don't, just don't get hit. <laughs> yeah, idiots. <laughs> Are they stupid? <laughs> some uh, some professional Super Smash Bros. lore. Uh, Isaiah, who is kind of the first like clear great back in Smash sixty four, that was his advice. Whenever people asked him how to to play better, he would just tell them, "Don't get hit." <laughs> I guess. Yeah, this fight actually does uh, keep Zeth occupied for some time. He needs to uh, 
the, the significant part about this this person wearing shard plate is that it can it can withstand uh, a blow from a shard blade and so he does actually need to to battle this person and i i have seen people say that this is very kind of video gamey where he needs to hit the same spot enough times that it will break exactly and it kind of is but i also damage. like it yeah <laughs> I, don't, I was about to make, you know, it's another page until we get there. But this boss fight has a stage two. Like, it is it is Dark Souls as shit, and I love it. I pictured it more as, um, to put it, you know, in, in Mythbusters terms, like when, uh, when Adam and Jamie were uh, doing the paintball thing, uh, it, it was... It wasn't like a Mythbusters, like, let's bust a myth. It was like, who's the tougher Mythbuster? Mm-hmm. And so they just shot each other with paintballs. And uh, Adam was just shooting Jamie, whereas Jamie was shooting the exact same spot mm-hmm. over and over again <laughs> um, to maximize damage. And I, I believe Jamie did win the he did. paintball. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Zeth does actually manage to... Uh, to get enough uh, damage onto a, a single piece of the the plate that he can can shatter it, uh, which is is pretty effective uh, at at slowing this guy down. And so Zeth is able to to actually go after uh, the one who they were taking away earlier. Uh, and then he he realizes something, which is our our first kind of bit of a twist here, uh, which is. Uh, so this guard is is kind of letting him go at this point, and Zeth thinks that if he's trying to assassinate the king, the guards are going to be doing literally everything they can to stop him. And so why is why is he getting away with this? And then makes the connection that uh, you know the king is said to be a quite a uh, an accomplished swordsman, and a pretty safe place for him to be would be wearing shard plate so yes here's here's our our first little twist here is this is in fact king gavilar himself and there was a a decoy who was being sent away and and yeah now we have boss fight phase two the health bar fills back up Mm -hmm. the music swells god damn it Uh, but not only has uh, has the the king kind of started phase two of his fight but uh, zeth has also got some new techniques as well uh starting with just throw things at him which turns out to be quite effective just because of the 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 number of them <laughs> other other key smash brothers tip hit your enemy yeah <laughs> you ever punch someone so hard that they think they went blind <laughs> that uh that does happen uh i mean it helps that that gavilar is is wearing a magical power armor gauntlet but yeah, uh, just gets to just punch Zeth in the face, and <laughs> it is now difficult to see. This this fight is uh, is reaching the end here, though, and uh, it's a it's a very dramatic moment of an ending as Zeth has now been been cornered on the balcony, uh, and as as Gavilar is approaching him, uh, Zeth is just continuously. Uh, putting more and more lashings on this balcony to try to drag it downwards. Uh, and then as, like, right at the last moment, the entire balcony just collapses 
and the two of them uh, fall out of this building, which is uh, is a lot safer for Zeph, who can just fall to the side of the building. Uh, and Gavilar ends up impaled on a, a piece of wood on the ground. Ow. And there's also another thing here that Brandon has has done before. Brandon sometimes does a really good job of like this character is badass, does a really badass thing, and is really looks cool the entire time doing it. But then also sometimes will show like how fights really take a lot out of you. And I just love the image of Zeth collapsing onto the wall and then like having to catch his breath and then slowly get back up to walk down the wall i don't know why but that image was really cool to me and so now we have uh the the death of of gavilar and there's some more cryptic things that are going to happen before this this before he actually dies uh and i it's cool but i also just like there's a brief comedy beat here where uh, Gavilar, who is apparently expecting someone to try to assassinate him, uh, says, uh, you can tell Thytokar that he's too late. You know, very dramatic moment. And then Zeth says, I don't know who that is. Like, you you have some plan that's going on in your mind. I don't know. <laughs> and, and then Gavilar goes through this whole list of people who he thinks might have tried to assassinate him. And and Seth's like, no, it's it's the Parshendi. It was wasn't any of those. <laughs> I'm almost sad the conversation ends when it does, because I really would have loved the weird, like, two minute buddy comedy of both of them being like, Yeah, why did they do this? This is this doesn't <laughs> yeah. make any sense. I really don't. But, like, maybe we can piece this together if we work it out. And then in in another like baffling thing. Gavilar trusts Zeth to both communicate a lot of information and hold on to something that is probably very important. It's, yeah. I, I, I know he's dying and can't really ask anyone else to do it, but it is. it, it also is a weird thing from Gavilar, what he does with his dying breaths. It sure is. Yeah, he he gives Zeth this small, uh, this small sphere uh, that uh, Zeth looks at and it, it's... It's black, but it's glowing. It's it's like glowing black, which looks very strange. Uh, and then says to to tell my brother, who we did briefly see, he was passed out drunk, uh, that uh, he needs to find the most important words a man can say. There's quite a request. And then Zeth shrugs and and scrawls it in blood. I, so important words. I, I, yeah, words. I love yeah i love that he's willing to do that but that's a lot of i don't know if anyone else has tried tried to draw or write anything with blood or a similar to blood-like substance in terms of viscosity it takes a lot of blood and also takes a lot of time like that's yeah. <laughs> this that's a lot of work yeah i'm thinking of like like drawing patterns with condensation left on a table from a glass and you run out of condensation real fast yeah just in the in the very bizarre comedy version of this scene we've concocted seth just has to keep being like oh, god damn it ran out of blood give me some more okay thank you there we go brother I mean, gavler's not using it anymore <laughs> yeah but he's leaving it all over the place <laughs> no you're gonna erase the message he's being so wasteful with it if I was Zeth, I'd just be like, all right, we're going to do the shorthand here. 
bro most important <laughs> word no most imp period word question mark we're done fine <laughs> do, you, do you think anyone on on roshar knows shorthand <laughs> do they have stenographers that's, yeah, that's actually the main storyline: is them trying to find someone who could read the shorthand that Zeth wrote in. <laughs> if they should be so lucky as to find a good stenographer, that is a deep cut that I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> Thoroughly modern, really a racist play. A kind of racist yeah. play. It's deeply racist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh that's our prologue we have we have seen the assassination of gavilar and this is a very slight spoiler but not for anything that's actually like plot wise uh but as this book goes on uh this series is is a series that very much likes pattern where there there are going to be recurring elements across the books and some of them I will point out when we see them for the first time, just because I think they're cool. Uh, the prologue of each of the first five books in the Stormlight Archive is the Night of Gavilar's assassination from a different perspective. I, I thought you were going to say there's like a cyclical thing of, sister, you must find the second most important words a man can say. <laughs> no, we are, we're going to see this again, and we're, we're going to see it from, uh, from quite a, a few different perspectives before we get through the the first half of the series are we gonna see it from dalinar's perspective like uh, i was drunk and then my brother died and then i i found a bunch of words on a on a piece of wood honestly that's there's a there's a decent chance of that he is he is who the letter is addressed to oh that is yeah but uh they probably was blind drunk that's true. Like it'd be a, an interesting perspective if it really is night of, but I would assume that people would find the body and go, "Hey, we should probably go get Davilar." Probably. I don't know. We'll see. So yeah, with our our prologue uh, established, we will begin part one, which also has a uh, a name. We have part one above silence, uh, and each part uh, as we go through the the five parts of this book. Uh, is going to be labeled with the characters whose POVs we will mostly focus on. So that is a uh, just some expectations to be set, because when we get to part two, uh, there may be um, characters who we've seen in part one who aren't going to be focused on in part two, and we'll come back to them later. But part one, we will be starting with Kaladin and Shallan. And in this podcast episode, we will be starting with Kaladin. Yay! We get to meet his dog. We get to meet. <laughs> a we good get boy. to meet my boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. This will be a frequent source of confusion for me, and hopefully, uh, he doesn't get annoyed by me saying his name so much because he's sleeping on the floor right over there. Uh, but <laughs> I have a dog. He's a very good dog, and his name is Kaladin. And we will now get to meet his namesake. He's perfect. Also, currently no worries about him hearing his name and being uh, distracted by it. He is sound asleep. <laughs> Anyways, in the book, Kaladin is not asleep. He's, no. he's up to a lot. He's up to a lot. <laughs> uh, earlier today, or maybe yesterday, 
no, I think it was yesterday because the uh, the weather has gotten cold here. And I said that uh, Cal, my dog, will be very much enjoying that. And that Cal in this book is not enjoying much of anything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll go to chapter one, Stormblast. We have a new... Uh, a new set of faces and a new logo there and the same weird double eye. And then another... Very, I, I assume this is just because it looks cool. I'm not expecting there to be a schedule connection, but the insignia, like the illustration almost looks very uh, Mistborn-y of like a circle pattern and then a bunch of spiky things through it. It does kind um, of look like the Steel Alphabet, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I'm assuming it's just like a moon or sun and people raising their spears like yarg but it's interesting that it looks kind of similar we have another uh recorded quote for our our epigraph here uh, this Colonius. one was hmm? oh or from hectan <laughs> you killed me i've been killed he he's he says that he, he says you've killed me twice and then says i die which is in fact what is happening people die when they are killed it's true mm-hmm. Uh, this one uh this however uh this sample is apparently considered questionable not sure by whom or why but uh this one's questionable uh and and then we have another time skip which is not the last one this episode literally every chapter break is going to have a time skip uh but they are they're getting shorter this is a mere five years after the assassination of gavilar can you imagine if it was another 4,500 years? <laughs> like, whoa, Brandon, please slow down. Please actually stop and tell us a story at some point. Yeah. <laughs> 4,500 years later, we zoom in on an ant and a leaf. 2,700 <laughs> years later. Now that this feels like a Neil Stevenson book is what it feels like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're we're not quite getting to... Kaladin's POV yet. That will wait until chapter two. Uh, but this is much like the um, the beginning of the Final Empire uh, when we had who was it? Goodman Menace, I think the uh, the random yes. ska old man who just was there to see Calcier. Uh, oh, here we yeah. we have uh, we have Sen, who is a uh, a young boy who is in the army on the verge of a battle and uh, thinks he's about to die. Nah, you're in Kaladin's squad. You'll be fine. <laughs> Pictures taken 10 minutes before disaster. <laughs> You'll be fine. Did you take a piss? That, that <laughs> is the, the, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brandon, who has yet to have any sort of remotely sexual scene uh describes a 15 year old pissing on cobblestones he he sure does <laughs> these are just facts people yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not arguing <laughs> yeah sen is uh is joined here by uh dalit who is a uh, an older veteran uh who gives uh gives sen some some facts and some advice uh, the facts being that uh you're in Kaladin's Stormblast squad and so you're going to be fine uh, the advice is, uh, did you go to the bathroom? No? Okay, go now. You'll need to. And then uh, as the the soldiers are forming up, we actually get to meet Kaladin, uh, who is in charge of, of this uh, 
group of soldiers and apparently has quite the reputation uh, and is not all that much older than Sen and and is uh Sen is is confused by this I love that like Sen has done nothing but cower in fear this whole time and it's like he's 15 oh such a baby and then he sees Kaladin and he thinks this is him this youth it's like Boy, he's older than you. <laughs> and uh, Kaladin has apparently paid someone to get Sen to transfer to his squad. So, which uh, Sen is confused by. So why, why would anyone pay for me? But uh, there's there's a battle to prepare for, so no time to, to focus on that. And this, uh, this battle that's about to occur, uh, this is a kind of you know, medieval formations charging each other with, uh, with hand weapons. This is, which I don't think we've really seen that sort of pitched battle yet. You know, we, we've seen, we haven't had, well, I was about to say we haven't had armies before, but there were uh, like six of them in well of Ascension. So if that's a lie, never mind. Right. But they never like fought. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, don't see, we don't see main characters engaging in standard sword play aside right. from serene teaching people how to use right. swords and then they never use the swords we had yeah. like we had the the final empire rebel army which yeden screws up and gets them all killed uh we have there's there's armies aplenty in well of ascension but the only like big pitched battle is the siege of luthadel which is against a force of coloss and that's not a an organized battle yeah. So. Yeah. So here we have, uh, we we have pitched battle, and it is, uh, the, some of the things that Sen has heard is you know they're going to be marching in formation and all that, but it uh, it is going to rapidly fall into chaos, and Kaladin is at least prepared for that to happen. And this is really fucking exciting, like just full stop. This is great. <laughs> I I have seldom seen battle scenes in books in general, um, and it seems like it, it'd be a little too chaotic for me to wrap my head around pulling off, but Brandon does it right here. I believe that was one yeah. of the things that, especially as Stormlight goes on, uh, because we are, go we are going to see more armies and more battles. Uh, that's something that he definitely, like, I know he talked to a bunch of people about this and, and did some research for portraying medieval warfare yeah there's so much that's set up so quickly here even amongst this giant chaotic scene of like the big picture stuff of sen doesn't really even know who he's fighting which is messed up uh but the king is away on the shattered plains seeking vengeance for gavilar's murder that's big picture but then we zoom way in on here is kaladin taking care of his squad and here's how he does it which i think is very cool and, and well done to get so much packed in so fast on every scale. We also get um, uh, like a cool amount of kind of inter-squad politics as well, we learn from Kaladin. Um, that he is like, uh, in the next couple pages we learn he's trying to get sent to the Shattered Plane so they could be in a real, uh, a real battle that actually means something. But um, to do that, he has to both show that his squad doesn't have many casualties so he has to be very protective and defensive 
but then also he needs to achieve like notable things in battle so once the battle is like drawing to a close he's also like let's do let's let's go for a real big move we're, we're gonna go all out um and he still like protects most of his people but is also incredibly ambitious because he thinks that's gonna get him what he wants and just seeing how even in the midst of this super chaotic battle that from what we can tell doesn't really even seem to mean all that much Kaladin's brain is operating on a lot of different levels um, trying to accomplish certain things which is also really neat yeah as this uh, as this battle goes on uh, it's it's this very back and forth flow of for a little bit it'll just be them getting to the right place or holding a formation or something and then there's like 30 seconds of frantic chaos as they actually have a, an engagement with the the enemy here and in one of them sen actually ends up getting stabbed pretty badly this is like his first actual moment of combat that we see and he he does like a spear thrust and the the enemy soldier just blocks it and stabs him after sen is wounded we get to see some uh, some heroics from from kaladin he is quite uh, quite capable with a spear in battle uh also does some uh some cool throwing knife stunts which are probably like the least believable part of it to me but they're cool yeah there's also the moment of sen thinking he's about to die and then kaladin rescues him i had like a sinking feeling in my throat because the description is and then he was there and i was like eon dell's back and he's saving the day now (laughs) (laughs) Do you mean him? That one? <laughs> but yeah, uh, as this this battle is uh, is starting to actually kind of break down, Cal spots a uh, uh, a target of some significance, who Sen originally thinks is a a shard bearer, given his uh, his very dramatic looking armor. But uh, no, that's this is not an important battle in the grand scheme of things. So it's it's just a a, a guy wearing some nice armor. There's no shard bearers here. No, that can't happen. <laughs> None at all. Uh, as they're they're getting ready for uh, that kind of last attack, uh, there's a, a bit more that we learn that uh, about the things that Kaladin does for his his squad. Uh, they're they're well trained. Uh, he he actually pays some of the the field medics to get treatment for his his squad, uh, and he can can do a bit of uh, of field medicine himself, which definitely helps out. But uh, as this this chapter draws to a close, uh, that wasn't a uh, a shard bearer in this battle, uh, but it turns out that uh, one does in fact arrive. Darth Vader is a shard bearer. Yeah, we we have a uh, a, a massive black horse galloping into the battle. Uh, we have this uh, th- this incredible you know interlocking plate armor, and all that Sen can really do is kind of uh, lay there and die, which is, I mean, given given what we've seen zeth do in the prologue uh yeah this is this is not going to be a uh a a pretty fight by any stretch of the imagination 
Uh, and that's where our chapter ends. Another child death, just for fun, just for the kids. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it, uh, you know, we were just saying like, oh, this chapter sets up so, so much so quickly. You really get a sense that Kaladin, like, knows what's up. He's got a good hat on his shoulders. He's going to go far. And then it all comes crashing down and it's all the more cutting. Yeah. And then, uh, and then this Shardbearer arrives and we, we don't see the exact aftermath, but we go to, to chapter two, Honor is dead. We go eight months later and Kaladin is a slave trapped in a, a traveling wagon. And uh, we'll see wh- where exactly we go from here. So yeah, we, we get to our, our final chapter of our section uh, and kind of the first chapter of the actual story itself uh, because even as as we start the way of kings proper we we had a prologue and then we had a a different character who we're going to see something else from before we actually get to the the one who we're actually going to follow uh, but here we are with kaladin and things have taken a sharp and sudden turn for the worse. Tone setting again from the top of the page. Chapter title, Honor is Dead. <laughs> Sounds like things are going great. <laughs> yeah, we have, a, we have a new scene set here. Uh, and it's, uh, it's not a good one. We have Cal as uh, he's, he's been enslaved. And this is another... Uh, first for a uh, a Cosmere book in our reading in that we've had like we we had the ska who were like an entire social class of uh like a, a lower social class uh and in in Elantris we had the whole thing of you know it's it's not slavery but we had like like indentured servitude this is you know on page named and discussed slavery Cal is being bought and sold here uh, along with a whole group of other people. And uh, some of those other, uh, some of those other slaves are around. One of them tries to strike up a a conversation with, with Kaladin who has apparently uh, tried to escape before. And so they're, they're hoping that he might do so again and then bring, bring them with Cal says he has a, He's tried 10 times in eight months and he is in fact still here. So not, uh, not a good look for, for that attempt. Yeah. He's not having a good time here. No. Bad. This chapter is bad. <laughs> I mean, it's well written. I, that was not a criticism, but the, no, the events depicted <laughs> are bad. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if we want to go blow by blow through all of the misery that he's going through but uh we we do we learn some things about the the situation that he's in now uh someone tries to someone tries to to ask why he how he became a slave says that uh he himself stole a herd of chull which we uh we see some chulls in this chapter don't we He's a chul rustler. He's a chul rustler. We actually heard in chapter one. I thought that was a funny term. They're crabs. Crab. 
They are okay. So yeah, if we're getting into what troll are, I am I am baffled by. <laughs> I can't tell if this is another instance of carcinization, but specifically in terms of writers writing things, because the chul with one L and two U's are a D and D creature that is like a mixture of a lobster and a crab, and it's giant and massive. A troll is also a big lobster crab-like creature. And at first I was like, oh, maybe D&D was inspired by Sanderson, or maybe that was actually a fan-made thing I found that was like importing this into D&D. No, Chules and D&D have been around since 2000 in third edition. <laughs> so either Brandon was inspired by that to create a somewhat similar creature, or much like how life wants to be crabs at all time, constantly evolving towards crab, fantasy creatures are also just inherent <laughs> in our brains and we want to call them chul <laughs> i am inevitable but it's just a, a large crab <laughs> it's just a large it's crab. a large crab and he has a nickname that says chu blank l <laughs> but yeah they are they're oxen but crabs <laughs> what if ox but crab we're going to have a lot of what if X but crab. Good. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Roshar. <laughs> welcome to Roshar. Everything is crab. Uh, but uh, Kaladin was uh, was not a uh, a chul rustler. He he's very like brooding and dramatic, and in a way that I think could be overdone. But. Uh, so so far i don't think it is but uh he 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 finally offers at least some words of explanation says that he kills a light eyes uh which is uh the 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 other slave says well i'm surprised they they didn't just execute you i'm surprised they made you a slave uh and he says cryptically and broodingly that uh it uh that wasn't why he was a slave it uh it's the one he didn't kill that uh, that landed him here and then offers no explanation for that yeah i would i i was bordering on this feels like just a little bit too much and then because it's not immediately brought up i think it's not until page 53 that it's it's actually mentioned my assumption was he tried to escape alone but then he's listing off all the different people that have died on him and he lists 10 successive groups of slaves like that was a group effort every single time and all of them have died and in a span of eight months, yeah, that's that's very rough. That's that was enough for me to go. Okay, yeah, this this attitude is earned. He has been through a lot. It's bad. <laughs> Some other things that we uh, we have here, uh, we have uh, Cal is uh, is remembering some some lessons from his father on medical care. Uh, you know, he's he's been Cal has been branded. Uh, on his forehead to to show uh his his slave status and so he's thinking over you know remedies for burns and then that just frustrates him because he doesn't have any of the things that he needs so that doesn't do any good there's a uh there's another slave in this group who is uh is is coughing is not doing well and we'll we'll get back to him in a bit uh, we also have uh See this this I find funny if we're going to look at pronunciations of names uh because the 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 slaver here the one running this this whole uh 
organization is Tvlakov, which is a name with not very many vowels in it at all. Uh, and <laughs> weirdly, I think we'd all agree on the pronunciation of that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing that amuses me is that in universe, the the country that Tvlakov is from, uh, you'll see more of these names that have like all these weird consonant clusters. And in universe, people think they're hard to pronounce. And that just amuses me. They're like, <laughs> That's like why Why do they just shove these letters together in, in, in their words? It makes no sense. I also have a legitimate question that I think could potentially be answered by, the, um, by Coppermind. There's a thing where it says, Lanky Turan, the serving boy, tended the trolls. Now, is that Kaladin describing him and that Lanky is capitalized because it's just the first word of the sentence? Or is this guy's name Lanky Turan? Uh, Turan <laughs> is a serving boy in Tavlakov's slave caravan. He is described as Lanky. Okay. I was really hoping I... that was an official nickname that everyone calls him. That's Lanky Turan. I choose to live in a world where his name is Lanky. <laughs> I was going to ask if that was the whole article, but then I realized that would be a huge spoiler. Um, so. <laughs> for when it's revealed that he's the big bad yes oh yes i'll tell you the, the rest of that line just describes his current location and and current job but uh yeah like uh caleb like you brought up uh kaladin has some time to think about uh the as he thinks about it the failures that he's gone through uh failing tien who we don't know about uh, and then Dalit and his team, who we saw very briefly, and then ten successive groups of slaves. It's uh, it it has not it 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 would lead you to a state like this, perhaps. He does uh, he does have a thing, which is kind of notable. It's, I think it's just about the only thing that he has, uh, which, as as Sam pointed out, quite a bit of this chapter is devoted to uh, a couple of leaves. He has leaves. <laughs> He has what are uh, apparently poisonous leaves. Uh, he grabbed them when he was just out for a walk that they were letting him, you know, walk around for a bit before going on. Uh, and he doesn't quite know what he's going to do with them. You know, maybe he can somehow poison Tavlakov if that accomplishes anything. Uh, or maybe they're just a, a, a kind of contingency plan for himself. But he has them and it's it's something that he can actually kind of focus on it he doesn't settle on this until a little bit later but i appreciate the you know it seems like oh yeah poison your slaver it's a good idea and Calvin has the thought of like okay well he has multiple henchmen so i would just have a dead slaver and i would still be locked in a cage with a bunch of people who still want to sell me so i don't know if that actually would help anything yeah but uh we now have an interruption from another spren and this one does get a little bit more focus. This is not a uh, background spread that just gets a name and maybe a physical description and nothing else. This one we uh, we see quite a bit of for the rest of this chapter because it's it's odd. This this spread I can get into because it does because <laughs> it does things. I I like the way that this is this is um this is like where we saw in the prologue, we saw things through Zeth's eyes and that he thinks that these, these things are profane or unholy. Uh, th there's a spren that's behaving weirdly here. 
which is odd for us to know because we haven't known anything about Spran until we started reading this book. But through the way that, that Kaladin interacts with it, it is behaving strangely. I also, I, I have to believe at this point, I think I've, there have been a couple of points where I've said this on the podcast, but I have to believe that Brandon has read a little bit of Berserk because this is the most <laughs> berserk shit I have ever seen. There's a grumpy guy, he's imprisoned, and then there's just this little cute fairy spirit that says, hey, do you want any help with that? Are you grumpy? Are you cool with me? What's what's your deal? And the grumpy soldier guy is like, go away, leave me alone. And this friend's like, okay, but you might want my help later. It's, it's, it's That's just berserk. That's, that's literally just berserk. I love it. It's great. <laughs> the first berserk came out in like 97, so... It, yeah, possible. it had been around. It's possible. You know, yeah. I can actually tell you this uh, because of another thing that we mentioned that that Brandon is also a big fan of is we mentioned that uh, the 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 fight between Zeth and Gavilar is very much a a Dark Souls boss fight. We know uh, he likes Elden Ring. Yeah, Brandon is a <laughs> big uh, FromSoft fan, um, but apparently in one of his uh, Elden Ring playthroughs, uh, he made a character that was a berserk reference and somebody asked him if yes. it was a reference and he said it was yes <laughs> god bless but Berserk's yeah this really uh, this uh this spren uh there was a mention earlier of of wind spren who kind of show up and and play little tricks on people and then go away uh and this one this is uh, apparently just another wind spren uh but it uh it talks to him and uh, it says his name, which is weird. Yeah, I really like that moment. Because we, by this point, we know fuck all about Spren. But just that, like, she says some weird stuff. Kaladin's ignoring her. And then she goes, Kaladin, why must you ignore me? And based on just, like, how that line is said and the way he reacts, even though we know fuck all about Spren, it's still like, wait, what? And then she just leaves. She just disappears. Yeah, bye. <laughs> And he goes, Storm, Storm, you. Storm you. Yes, yeah, we can go to the same <laughs> turn. We have some good old fancy cursing here. <laughs> Shock you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this uh, this spren is going to going to return and has has some knowledge, sort of. Asks why why isn't Kaladin fighting like like he used to before? And uh it's a it's an odd question of how how this spren knows these things, uh, in, including, you know, how do you know my name? Uh, to which the spren responds, how do you know your name? Which is like, it's mostly just like a childish gotcha. And there's like a tiny bit of a philosophical, like, because somebody said that's what your name was. And that's the only reason. But it's also mostly just like a, a childish gotcha. <laughs> But uh, to to this this friend's questioning, he he says, "I can't fight anymore. I'm I'm too tired. I, you know, I can't do it." And he he fought before. He's failed before. And this is just kind of this is one time too many at this point. As our uh, our chapter is getting to the end, though, uh, he is going to try one more time for what it's worth. Uh, this this slave over there is is still coughing quite badly. Uh, he remembers some some more things from his father, who seems quite well informed medically. 
uh, says this is a uh, this is a, a illness called the grinding coughs and has some some remedies for it. And Cal says, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try something here." He he gets the slaver's attention uh, and and explains that this is what's wrong with him. And if you give him some water and let him rest, he'll he'll probably recover. He'll be okay. And uh, the uh, Tavlakov says to to pull him out of the wagon. And it's uh, it's hopeful for maybe half a page. And then they take the slave off and just kill him and keep going. And it still sucks for Kaladin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's having a bad time. Yeah, I as soon as they took him out of the cage, I kind of I I felt that it was going to be a, a cruel twist of fate. It's too early in the book for Kaladin to get his hope back, but <laughs> it's, it's still it's real rough. It's bad. But yeah, that is. Uh... That takes us to the end of our chapter where he he failed there and then he he notices that uh, he's in the, the chaos and excitement here. He's also dropped or crushed the, the Blackbane leaves. So that one little thing that he had, uh, that won't won't work either. And uh, I I hope that we can we can get to a a low point and start to improve for Kaladin because this is uh this this sucks to read about so far we just keep going down there's got to be a bottom right it's it's just been Kaladin's terrible horrible no good very bad eight months <laughs> and probably Talonel's horrible terrible no good very bad 4,500 years 4,505 years. Closer to six, because another eight months have passed, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, that gets us through our first uh, section, or our first episode of The Way of Kings. Uh, We had uh, multiple introductions, uh, and we only, in fact, saw one of the two characters named in this section. Uh, In our next episode, we will get to see both Shallan and Kaladin, as the the section says. Uh, But for now, we've mostly seen, we've seen Roshar. We've seen some of the the deep history of Roshar, the near history of Roshar, and Kaladin having a very bad time. (laughs) So, uh, with that having been read, we can start uh, looking at the things we usually do for this book. Uh, if the, if you're joining us for Stormlight, uh, one thing that we we like to do is with the 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 hope and the the potential future of some sort of visual adaptation of Brandon's books with the the movie deals that they've been trying to work on and all that. Uh, we like to think about how we might uh, might adapt these these books as a movie or something like that. Uh, and so we will we'll try to uh, come up with a, a a cast for some of our characters, and then also sometimes just talk about various bits of of how the adaptation would work if we if we think of something like that. There's a couple of different ways that this this casting process goes down. Uh, Sam usually goes with uh, just kind of what's the what's the picture in your head? What's the vibe for this character? How can we 
kind of imagined them in the book. Uh, whereas Caleb is uh, is working as the hypothetical casting director and is trying to assemble an actual cast of of actors here. Right. I cast like I'm describing my dream. Yep. Basically. Whereas Caleb casts as if he's, you know, casting. <laughs> so. So yeah, we uh, we're going to have quite a few characters show up in this book. It's a it's a large book. So. From if you've uh, if listened to our previous episodes, we sometimes would go into quite a bit of detail on everyone who gets cast. We're going to try to keep the the list a bit more focused this time around. Uh, but given that it was the the beginning of the book, we still did have we still did have ten characters or so that we might want to take a look at. So, uh, Sam, do you want to get us started with uh, with what you were? you were thinking about these i know one or two in particular you had a uh, a pretty firm idea for yes uh i have eight of the ten okay um which is better numbers than i normally put up so uh so yeah uh kalak kalak click and kalak the tappet brothers uh i just vibes i'm going with ahmed el saka who's an egyptian actor who is the right kind of vibe for me i think um, let me, uh, Yezrian have, uh, um, an actor named Cal Naga, uh, who's very good at pulling off the calm regality that is described. Um, for Zeth, I have, uh, yeah, this one's a little interesting, I will say, because we don't get a great idea of how old Zeth is. It's true. Um, so I went with Ben Kingsley. I thought that'd be kind of cool to see him do this weird sort of fight. Um, and I just kind of pictured him. I don't know. Uh, Gavilar. I went with Ben Affleck. Uh, Sen. I went with Cameron Monaghan from Shameless. Uh, I don't remember what character he plays. He's the, the, the red-headed son of the... He's, uh, uh, he's Jedi Survivor guy too, right? possibly yeah that's him mr poncho man and he also plays we promise not the joker in gotham <laughs> both of them yes um so dalit i have uh for dalit i have john ham maybe i don't know i feel uh, like i i will say as the person who is casting like as if i was working in hollywood I feel like John Hamm might say yes to a three-minute-long role where he just dies immediately. <laughs> I I could see that actually working out. Yeah. Um. Kaladin, I this is strong for me. It's my Kaladin casting, um, because I have uh Nat Zang, aka Ten K from Z Nation. Um, that's a yep, yep, yep for me, hundred percent. Um, I just picture. Nat Zang, Kaladin. So there. Uh, Tvlakov, let me give you an example of uh, the difference between Caleb and I casting. This person's dead. Uh, <laughs> Classic. That happens but sometimes. I went, with, I went with Cameron Mitchell. I'm doing it again. Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> the shitty boss is always going to be Cameron Mitchell. Was that also someone from your... From a previous casting, yes. Oh, yes. Was that Cayman. was that was your Cayman, yeah. 
eventually after Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Ed Sheeran. I didn't I think he was that shitty a guy at first. <laughs> I missed the days of Ed Sheeran came in. I thought he was just a bumbling fool. I didn't think he was an, a, an asshole who hit people. <laughs> a bad guy. Um, so yeah, so we had ten names, and that was eight, and the other two I don't have. Uh, Bluth, uh, because we didn't see a single word of description for him. That's fair. <laughs> we get, we get, we actually, we, we, he's a big guy, and he has a broad face. I think we do get broad face. Oh, alright, well. It's I, not I much. I think of all the actors I know who have a broad face. <laughs> so, I, I'm guessing we'll keep seeing him haranguing, uh, poor Kaladin. Uh, so we'll probably get more, um, at which point I'll have more, um, an unnamed windsprint. We have enough. Uh, I just couldn't, couldn't come to mind. So that's on my list. I will not forget. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think we'll, yeah, we'll definitely, I mean, spoiler, we're going to see more of this, this spread and we'll perhaps get some more vibes there. Uh, but that's one that I I feel like, given that they are kind of you know ethereal and popping in and out of existence and all that, could even be a voice role. One thing that I'm personally looking out for that I'm like every time we do one of these casting sections, I'm trying to figure out if if I want to to hit this button is I want to f- button we're familiar. I uh, this particular button that I want to hit uh, <laughs> is the Michael Kramer and or Kate Redding buttons. Uh, who are the narrators of the Stormlight audiobooks, uh, who I think do a great job, uh, and I think would be a, a cool reference if they could uh, if they could have a role in this, particularly for voice roles. So I'm I'm trying to think of who I I I'd do that for, but not yet. They get to play every spren, which includes like the kind of I imagine that anger spren, which are like pools of of bubbling blood sort of i don't know if we've seen them yet spoilers they can make the bubbly noises for the anger spread (laughs) um i feel like i don't know how the epigraphs would function in a movie but i feel like having them give the if we want them to show their range they could give all the actual voices um and then they could certainly give the descriptions of where all those quotes are coming from Ooh. how you do the epigraphs is like kind of always a question that i don't know what a good answer is so that would be pretty cool i think i still i still feel like the best way to do the mistborn trilogy epigraphs is just have Sazed narrate all of them because then when it gets to the third book you're like oh Sazed's reading someone else's writings again and it's it's yeah it works that would be pretty cool. And it was, oh shit, this book. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> uh, Caleb, do you want to uh, to run down your list as well? Sure. I, I, I often get long-winded in my casting, so I'm going to try and, for the minor characters, just list the name, where I know them from, not necessarily get into a ton of, of rationalization. So, with that in mind, Kalec, I have um, Jovan Adepo. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I meant to look it up did not my bad um i know i'm mostly from the overlord movie that came out a little while ago um as yesrian i have silas carson who was kai adimundi in the uh star wars prequels um yeah he seemed regal in that role and he cares about the wookies much like yesrian probably cares about 
you know. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> for Zeth, son, son, Volano, I have Louis Tan, who I know from the Mortal Kombat movie that just came out, and also, like Jessica Henwick before him, one of the only good parts of Iron Fist. <laughs> um, he is, he has a martial arts background. Um, he is. I I was also I was with Sam of I'm not exactly sure how old this guy's supposed to be, but I know Brandon does like his his protagonist to be on the younger side. So I'm kind of assuming twenty to thirty, like that's close to that age range. So that's kind of what I was hitting for, but don't know that for sure. Um, and yeah, I think it'd be cool. Um, as Galavar, I have Michael Nickvist, who I know from John Wick mostly. Um, as Sen, I have Skylar Gartner, who might, Sam, you might have cast him. I feel like we've, we've mentioned I this guy before. I cast him. Did you? <laughs> I think he was one of my rare, serious casting calls. Where is he? He was my, uh, fucking spook at some point. I was gonna, was that yes. would have been my guess, yeah. He was my hero of ages spook. Incredible. Um, he's not my spook. He's my said. Okay. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna die immediately. Um, um, as Delette, I have Conan Stevens, who is one of the three people to play the mountain on Game of Thrones. Um, I think he was the first one. Um, we'll get to Calvin in a second because I do actually have commentary on that. Um, I did picture the Spren as being like a CGI creation for the most part, so this would mostly be a voice actor role. And even though this person does do live action, I don't really see her doing a live action role in the Cosmere because her general vibes don't quite fit. I have Kristen Shaw as the voice of the Spren, um, uh, known know. as uh, Mabel from Gravity Falls and in live action, uh, Fly the Concords is, is mostly how I know her. Um, as Tvlakov, I have Dominic Carter, who played Jano Slint in Game of Thrones. And as Bluth, I have Ethan Supley, who was in The Quarry as one of the, one of the family. The big, big, tough guy. Um, so, for Kaladin, I knew the vibes of Kaladin. I had heard through osmosis and reputation the vibes of Kaladin. And I had a couple of, of, of actors that I thought would be good options. And then I found out he's 19, and I was like, well, these 40-year-old <laughs> actors I had in my head are probably not going to hmm. cut it. Um, <laughs> so I struggled with Kaladin for a while, and so I, I was trying to think of who is in his hopefully younger 20s and can look very sad and also is a very good actor. <laughs> and I finally realized Alex Wolf from Hereditary, he could get that job done real well. So... I got Alex Wolf as Kaladin. All right. Uh, you are absolutely correct that looking very sad is important. So <laughs> glad we've uh, we've got that established. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the most interesting part, uh, because that's literally what I said when Beth kept <laughs> texting me about uh, things that were happening during Mistborn uh, of, of these episodes, is... Uh, what we think is going to happen. And the first episode is, is always kind of a tricky one because, you know, we've been, we've been thrown a whole bunch of information covering an enormous time span. And so there's, there's big questions like, you know, what happened to Taln or 
you know, what happened in those 4,500 years. And there's more immediate questions like, is Kaladin going to escape? So I will, I will open the floor to Sam on uh, what you, what you think is coming up with the understanding that uh, it's kind of hard to tell at this point. Yes. Uh, uh, another thing for newer listeners, I'm usually at my best in episode two or three. So episode one is kind of a... And and the, the parts where you're at your best in episode two or three are just like random statements that you make like as you're going to something else that turn out to be exactly right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like the Lord Ruler is Rashik. Right. Uh, anyway... <laughs> So yeah, we'll we'll start here in episode one, and then we'll see what we can uh, what we can get into. Yes, we will piece together more as we move along, and then I'll have more for you next time or the time after, and they'll kick ass. But for this time, it's a lot of vibes, so I'll just run through them here. Um, first of all, uh, it seems like I just went name by name, basically. Zeth, fucking hell, it's Zeth, it's Zeth. Zeth is the crying go. assassin with a heart of gold or whatever. Um, that's, uh, I think, something I can predict of the four people that we watch. Um, he weeps because he just can't kill his gosh darn self, so I believe it's him. Yeah, we skipped um, over that part. <laughs> that's that's also fucked up. Yep. Uh, Sen is dead. Sorry. Dalit is dead. Not big surprise. Uh, Kaladin. Uh, Justin named his fucking dog after him, so he's going to return to being cool, which is always hard when you have asshole engraved in your head. Um, the Windspren is going to find a way to get him to ungive up and get out of there. I don't think there's much way for him to build his strength to do that, because uh, he's eating leftover gruel. Uh, so there's not a lot of strength in excess there. So I don't really know how that's going to work yet. Um, obviously, you know, if there is a, a god above, he's going to end up killing Tavlakov. Um And then the larger question is, where does he fit into the grand plot of the book? To which I reply, what grand plot of the book? Yeah, we don't really have that yet, do we? <laughs> What's the plot of this book? We'll get it. I'm sure that we'll get it. We will get it before episode 26 or whatever, like, <laughs> like in Elantris. Um... This book's about a boy who becomes a slave and dies in slavery. <laughs> it's the story of Michael. Uh, that would be such a wild power move of Branson if we follow Kaladin for ten chapters and then he dies doing nothing of importance. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I don't think he's any of the four we watch. Uh, possibly. Um the only ones he might be the surgeon and he might be the prince uh but he's not a surgeon because he doesn't know much about the old doctor and stuff beyond what his dad told him um and he knows enough to annoy Tavlakov, so i'm I'm here for that i'm good with that um he's not the assassin because that's zeth he's not the liar because he's not a young woman uh and he's not the prince because he's not an aged warlord I mean, I guess if he's anything, he might be the prince. Maybe it mentions like he gave up his warlording ways. Yeah. Whose eyes have opened to the ancient past is his thirst for battle wanes. I feel like he wants to throw hands still. 
He definitely, <laughs> like, if if anything, it might be that he feels like he can't, but he still probably wants to. Right. Yeah. Eventually, I hope he will throw hands again, because he's good at it. Particularly um, at Tavlakov to start. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm going to, I'm just going to read this sentence right here. Calden is cool enough on his own. Without having to go through a whole, you mean I'm the chosen one? Aragon, Willow, Fellowship, Sorcerer, Stone thing. P- please don't do that, past Brandon. It's me, traveling through time. <laughs> uh, if you make Kaladin study under some sagely master who calls him a foolish youth or some shit, I'm going to scream. Um, I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, I hope that he can just be cool on his own and doesn't have to be the chosen one. Um if I could just say, Vin, Vin was not the chosen one. She just had an earring. And, like, the devil was like, hey, put that earring in your in your, in your your child. Um, <laughs> so, like, that I appreciated, that there was that misdirect. Um, I, I don't like chosen ones. It's not, not my t- cup of tea. Um, so I'm hoping he can just be 19 and badass. That'd be good. Um, anyway... The Faces of Death epigraphs. Uh, a theme will eventually emerge beyond just famous last words. So far we've seen that most of these are from dark eyes, not light eyes. Um, possibly all of them so far, which is a breadcrumb of some sort. I think we've got one light eyes. I think chapter two was light eyes. But, okay. So, but, but you're not, but, you're, we're not wrong that most. I, you are correct that it's most, I believe. And they also focus on like the eyes as a hierarchical kind of position so that's interesting in and of itself um what will the twist be uh i'll keep my eye out uh as i said before uh other epigraphs kind of had the twist and turn because they were um written by a single person and were not attributed to anybody um so it was kind of mysterious as to where are they coming from what is it about so this one is less so and so i'm guessing it's going to be just a theme thing that keeps cropping up so i'll keep my eye on it um anyway let me see uh in general uh i can tell this is one of those books i would gush over on a reread so i'm I'm jealous of justin and beth here because this would be really fun (laughs) to hear people guess about i can see the the draw of the podcast here Um, correct yep uh, I wrote uh, an incorrect statement here. Uh, I don't know if you could convince me at gunpoint to reread a thousand-page book, but then I remembered that I re- literally read a book ten times that has about a thousand pages in it. The book is Summerland by Michael Shaban. What's that book, you say? I don't think it's even on Amazon anymore, but it's super good if you can find it. Summerland. Um, anyway, uh, overall, I'm ready to embark on a great journey. Uh, Caleb said this book fucks. I'd say this book gets the second base at least. It's good so far. Um, Kaladin fight was great, but killed almost instantly. The the energy of it. Um, Surge binding is so far kind of bland because it is just the Gmod tool gun. Um, but I'm sure we'll see some awesome stuff with it. Uh, and then shard wielding, I want to see more f- of in cool ways because right now it's just cool sword that slice thing okay so sam is a movable curmudgeon is back and back on the menu and 
better than ever. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say that is more like slightly movable curmudgeon at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nudgeable curmudgeon. Okay. Band name? Curmudgeon. <laughs> That's a great band name. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm writing that one down as well. Hang on. like a what would they be like i picture their band style as like presidents of the united states of america mm-hmm. like lump mm-hmm. all right so we've got a uh, a slate of of predictions a uh kind of mood on the book so far and also a good band name we're off to a good start uh caleb do you have a band name for us <laughs> unfortunately that's the one thing i can't promise but we'll okay. see if i get to it okay um, how about some predictions though yeah, I got some predictions for you. Um, <laughs> I I was walking into this episode going, you know, for an episode one, I don't have a ton. And about half of what you're about to see are things that I wrote down during the recording of this episode. Um, so it's going to be fun. Um, okay, so first off, we pretty much get confirmation of this, although it hasn't been directly said. But I did write down while writing the prelude that these 10 guys, these 10 folks are going to be the heralds that are mentioned at the back of the book. Um, in the prologue with Zeth, we kind of get borderline confirmation of that. And then the additional add on to that theory is those are also the 10 faces that are bordering the um, cover art. Um, and in particular, that guy wearing a crown in uh, the prologue is probably Ezrian. I've, it's got to be hard to tell who the other ones are, are, but it might be interesting to try and figure out which one is Talonel, just because I assume Talonel will be important one day. Anyways, um, that's what I got um, from that. Um, next prediction. All of these chapter things, all these, these cool illustrations at the top of each chapter... They don't just have creepy looking eyes. They have eyes with two pupils, which is off-putting and also a JoJo reference. Um, And I am trying to figure out where that fits in. It could be, because we haven't gotten a lot of actual information of how the eyes, the light eyes, dark eyes works. It could be that light eyes doesn't actually refer to eye color and it instead refers to if you're a light eyes, if you have these special eyes. Um, But I am... I feel like it's more likely that that's tied to the magic system. If, if if you use a certain type of magic, it will also make your eyes double up or something. Um, so that's my my theory with that. More on eyes in a bit. Um, I was also following along as to who our four people on the back of the book are. I agree, Zeth's probably our assassin. Um, I think, even though it kind of threw me off, and I agree he seems out of practice a little bit, I think Kaladin might be the surgeon, because it's mentioned in the fight with Sen that Kaladin binds up his injury really quickly, so he kind of knows what he's doing there. And then, yeah, he also clearly has an upbringing where his father taught him a lot about medicine, and it's not exactly surface-level stuff. Like, he, he, he knows the grindings, and he also knows the exact cure to the grindings. So, um... Even though it's not what I expected. I think Kaladin might be our surgeon. Um, by process of elimination, kind of, I think Shalan, our other POV for this section of the book, is probably the liar. Um, and I say process of elimination uh, because I think I might know who the prince is. Um, I was writing down all the relatives of the king that we learned about in the prologue. And we have Dalinar. Or Dal- I, Dalavar, I think it's Dalinar. It is. Um, 
Okay, and Elhokar as the king's brother and son, respectively. Yes. And if it's been five years since the king's death, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Dalinar is no longer a prince. He's probably the new king. In fact, I think it's described that the king is trying to get revenge for his brothers. That's presumably Dalinar. Which leaves us with a nice, eligible prince to act as our last main character. I think that's going to be Elokar. Um, so I think those are going to be our, our four, four main folks here. Um, some of these are going out of order. I've kind of arranged them in things that I think are exciting and or fun. Um, Zeth's POV, he talks a little bit about Voidbringers. And he also talks a lot about how um, the walking on stone is profane. Stone is very important to him. And something along the lines of some people thought Voidbringers didn't exist, but it was important to his honor that they did exist. So he does believe they existed. So I feel like we get a line implying that the Knights Radiance fought against the Voidbringers long ago. So I feel like the Voidbringers are the monsters that were fought against by the Heralds and the Knights Radiance in the Prelude, which would probably include Thunderclast. I'm guessing that's a kind of Voidbringer. Um, and... Um, Thunderclast are made of stone, so Zeth would probably hold stone in very high regard um, if they are part of his religion. Um, he also believes the world is going to end, and my aspect of the theory is he's kind of on board with that. He's that's that's also part of his religion, and as of this point, um, he is. I'm guessing he is expecting the Voidbringers to come back, and he thinks that's a good thing. Um, with the name Voidbringer, I assume they're probably tied to the fact that the end of the world is is nigh um and yeah he seems to to be on their side um which is interesting i do think talonel is going to show up again maybe not even in this book there's we got a lot of books to go um could maybe be like the cliffhanger is they find talonel or something um and there's also a good chance if they are still worshiping the heralds and mostly have their names right Talonel could be using a different name, so it might be someone that... I don't think it's anyone we've met yet, but there's a chance that um, we meet someone who who will later be revealed to be Talonel, even though we don't know it right away. Okay. Um, there's a chance we've already met him, but I don't, I don't think we've met him yet. Um, but we'll see. Um, I agree with Sam. I think this Windsprint is going to keep showing up and will eventually... Uh, help inspire Kaladin a little bit and will help him escape because that's berserk as shit. Um, and then in terms of like, what's Kaladin's whole deal? We get, we've gotten a good amount of him, but there's stuff we don't know a ton about him. We know he used to have, there used to be a guy named Tien, um, a person named Tien that has died on, on his watch or under his protection. Um, I am guessing that one of quote, Halaw's officers killed Tien because Kaladin seemed to have it out for one of Halaw's officers and was like, I hope it's that guy. Um, and then he appeared to be wrong about that. Um, so I think that's what's going on there. And then we also separately, in some of these weird flashbacks we get, um, Kaladin mentions the blood of a pale girl. Um, I feel like that scene's going to be super important. And I also feel like we also get a flash of a sword slicing open a neck when he's thinking about all his past failures. It's interesting that he's slicing open a neck, which means that's not a shard blade because that wouldn't pierce flesh or cut through flesh. So I feel like maybe the shard bringer who kills Sen is the same person who killed Tien, 
But whoever killed this pale girl in Kaladin's memories is a different person. And that's probably even earlier in his life. That was probably the first big um, blow to his uh, his confidence and, and ability to, to help people. Um, that's, that's all the details I can really glean from what I've got. But that's those are the dots I'm trying to connect. Um, all right, let's get a little bit more bigger picture. Simple sentence. Eyes are the new metal. Um, in Mistborn, on Skadrial, everything's about metal. All the magic is tied to metal in some way. And I feel like in on Roshar, it's all about the eyes. Um, and maybe the nervous system in general. Um, because clearly that's an important part of the culture. Light eyes versus dark eyes. Um, there's weird eyes watching you at the beginning of every chapter in the illustrations. Um, uh, I think it mentions uh, Zeth thinks about how the fact that shard blade if you sever the like neck or spine it's that that kills the soul i think it's mentioned because that's severing their soul from their eyes maybe i might be making that up um but i feel like that's important it, even if that wasn't mentioned that's my theory um and then also just a cool uh detail um uh the way Zeth determines where his lashings go, he has to look at the point he is lashing to. So that's another connection of the eyes are important for the magic system. Whereas, you know, in Mistborn, it's just use the metals properly. Um, your your eye line and your sight is specifically important for the magic that Zeth is using. Um, okay. Also knowing that Brandon wanted to do some cool sci-fi stuff with Roshar, um, or at least like, you know, the gravity affects how the life evolves. That's that's a, a thing that he took into account. I'm also assuming that he might have some cool physics stuff happening. So it's mentioned that when Zeth uses magic by taking in the stormlight, there's a lot of frost on his cloak. So uh, what I feel like is happening is he's taking in the stormlight itself, but that also, the process of that, also probably draws in ambient heat from around you. Um... And that's why frost would form on his cloak, is the heat is being taken out of the cloak and out of the air and leaving the frost behind. Or allowing the frost to form because there's no longer heat there suddenly. Um, and then in a similar thing, this is a little bit reaching, but I think it'd be cool. Um, uh, shard blades, whenever they're summoned, form condensation. And originally I was like, ooh, they're being drawn from like a water dimension or something. But if the condensation is forming on the blade after it gets summoned, it might instead be the shard blades. I don't know exactly how condensation works, but this is my guess. Maybe they're being summoned from like a different dimension and it's the hell dimension that the heralds kept getting sent to and it's really hot there. Because I feel like if you bring a super hot metal into a lot cooler air, condensation would form that way. So I feel like that might be what's happening there. That's why there's condensation forming. I don't know. I'm in the middle of reading Project Hail Mary. Same guy wrote, uh, wrote The Martian. There's a lot of like focus on making sure the sigh of sci-fi is really realistic and so my brain is set to that of like physics wise how could this make sense um so that's where my brain was at reading some of this also project hail mary is very good go read it it's, i don't have a band name but i do have another book recommendation just like sam did okay um okay couple more we're getting in there all right what's the deal with the epigraphs I don't know why the epigraphs exist. I don't know why this is, this is who who's doing this exactly. But it seems like, you know, Sam mentioned Faces of Death. These are a bunch of collections of people's last words. That's what it seems like. And my big guess, I think, 
because of the way they're all labeled in a very scientific manner, I think these are our titular Stormlight archives. I think that's what these epigraphs all actually are. Um, a couple of details to follow up on that. How would people know people's last words? I feel like it's really hard to be able to know when someone's about to die and know to write down all their last words. But there's one aspect of the world building that I feel like could magically show up whenever a, a person is experiencing a certain thing. I think these words are being collected by spren, maybe? Um, they could theoretically be gathered by pain spren or fear spren or a type of spren we haven't seen yet. If death spren exists and there's spren that are coalescing around death, they'd be able to keep track of those last words. We learned from chapter two that some spren can think and retain information. Um, and then my last detail on that little bullet point is I think the most important words a man can say will be found in the Stormlight archives because they were someone else's last words. Okay, one last big bullet point that again, I had to write down some of this this time because Justin didn't mention, I didn't know it until Justin mentioned it, but you mentioned a lot of these books um, are going to be starting with that night of the assassination from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I've got some I've got some guesses as to what those perspectives are going to be. Okay. I I think it'd be interesting to get Dalinar's perspective, but Sam makes a good point that he's drunk and that wouldn't be the most fascinating perspective to visit even if it is important stuff happening. Um my guess is next book will be from Elokar's perspective because I think we're going to get to know Elokar a little bit more in this book and then we're going to start with a flashback to him experiencing all this. Book after that, the, uh, the ordering, I'm not, I'm less sure about, but this is what I feel like it's, it might, who, who the next four are going to be. Could be Dalinar, but I think it could also be Yasna because there is, it was a weirdly specific line of, and where could she be? Like that was meant to be some kind of mystery. Um, maybe that's a mystery that we will get an answer to. Um, I feel like then I feel like we're going to get Gavilar, because, or Galavar, did I spell that wrong? The, the, the king. Gavilar. Gavilar. Oh, I did get it right. Okay. Um, we're going to get Gavilar because he knows, or he probably doesn't know what they are, otherwise he would just say it, but he he knows that the most important words a man can say are important. We're going to get more from his perspective. Knowing that he's probably about to die is going to be a really interesting perspective. I could see that actually being a book two opening, but there's a chance if Brandon really wants to draw out this mystery, we don't find out all the full details until book four. Book five, I didn't put down Dalinar and Yasna because um, I, have a, I have a theory of who book five is going to be, or at the very least, who it's going to be at some point. feel like we're going to see this from Hoyt's perspective, because goddammit, Brandon, there sure is a weird drunk guy with a big beard who shows up and says, have you seen me? Which is a wild, insane thing for a person <laughs> to say in a really mysterious strange fashion and then the book just goes don't worry about that we're moving on <laughs> i feel like we have already seen hoyd come and go and maybe eventually we will see what the fuck he was doing there um so that's my last theory i figured that was the most fun one um so yeah we're gonna end on that one i feel like death spren could be a cool metal band name so that's gonna be mine okay glad <laughs> we got that too uh and then also just in terms of uh um the last notes to end on in terms of how I'm feeling about the book. This is a feeling I've gotten a couple of times in this podcast. I don't think I've ever gotten it this strongly um, from episode one of a book 
but the feeling I've had for the past two hours has been, can we uh, knock this episode out of the way, please? Because I'd really like to read more books as soon as possible. I've, 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 <laughs> I'm, I am very hyped. And um, as Sam has already alluded to, I think that even within just the first two chapters, this book fucks. And I am excited to get back to it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I am. Uh, uh, I, I really want to read more of this book. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, so the the next chapters that we have, we have chapters three, four, five, and six, uh, which are actually going to. This isn't like a a pattern like it is in um, Elantris, but our next four chapters are actually going to alternate between Shalom and Kaladin as our two POVs here for this this section. So we will we'll get to see a a taste of both of those. Uh, I don't want to bias you two. Um, some first-time readers think that some of the Shallan sections are too slow. A lot of rereaders really like Shallan sections. So I will be curious what, uh, especially with us analyzing this so much, what you what you will think of the uh, the next kind of group of chapters here. I just hope Shallan is a memorable character. <laughs> I just hope Shallan has fun. <laughs> just hope everyone has a good time. Somebody just in this book. Have fun books, and be yourself. <laughs> somebody in this book has to have some fun at some point. Oh, I don't know. I mean, Kaladin had some fun with the like while he was killing people. Yeah. No, he was. Uh, he was doing. He was doing good for like four uh, four paragraphs in chapter one. <laughs> yeah no we uh we could use i think a uh a bit of a better mood than where we just left kaladin uh yeah so we are going to be looking at those four chapters for next episode uh one thing that i did want to mention uh, and i'm putting this here because i have no good idea on where to put it and so I'm going to mention it now and hope that it doesn't feel like a gotcha after we've done episode one. Um, think some There are some things that are different on Roshar than other places in the Cosmere. Uh, and one of those is some of the ways that people look. Uh, and I wanted to mention this. If you, It may make casting kind of tricky, but I, I do think it's important to bring up. Um, the books that we've read so far, like when we read Emperor's Soul, it was pretty clear that like um, the Rose Empire is influenced by Asian cultures on Earth and the people there would look uh, would look Asian and whatnot. And so we, we had we had some actors from that part of the world and whatnot. Uh People on Roshar don't necessarily like there's not a, a straightforward mapping of earth ethnicities and, and physical appearances to Roshar. One thing that is true, though, is that most people on Roshar uh, have facial features that we would read as East Asian skin tones. It's a wide variety. You'll you'll meet people who are very pale. You'll meet people with very dark skin. Uh, but their facial features are, um, in particular, they have, uh, they have an epicanthic fold, which is the the 
the way that the inside corner of your eye next to the bridge of your nose kind of has like that tuck to it that's that's common in east asia and like i didn't want to mention this before episode one because it would be like i I felt like it would be more on your mind but i also don't i I hope that this does not feel like a big gotcha after you've just cast 10 people Eh, that that makes sense this this i agree that it's a weird it's weird to know when to mention that um and i think i think you picked a good spot that's good to know that sign can't stop me because i can't read that's fair (laughs) we've also cast i'm assuming 0.1 percent of characters in this series so i don't think we're too skewed yet yeah um i I did i I did want to bring it up at some point though um because if like stormlight i think is easily the the most difficult of brandon's work to adapt to screen um and one of the things that that they'd have to they'd have to do if they did this adaptation is um there's sometimes a concern in like fan art uh of people from roshar getting kind of whitewashed and so that's like when when the fans talk about stormlight adaptations that that ends up being on the mind gotcha but yeah also if you're not like literally casting people to put in a literal movie then you know like some of the some of the people on this cast list are dead like what are you gonna do (laughs) what are you gonna do cameron mitchell come back to us so that you can play tvlakov so so you can be a curmudgeon again he's great cameron mitchell you know wonderful actor also dead all right, let's wrap up the book now. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's wrap up the, the book. Epi- yeah, the whole wrap, thing. Let's wrap up the episode Get reading. Now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we've got uh, four chapters for our next episode. Uh, it will be, a, it's a bit bigger word count wise. This is bigger than uh, how I, a little bigger than, than what I'd want to do. Uh, but chapter six is a chonker. And so it was hard to, <laughs> hard to break things up. Um, yeah, when we record that episode, you will be able to listen to it at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, you can also shoot us an email at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, those go to Beth and I first, so we can take a look at anything like future Cosmere if you want to talk about that. You can also find us on our various social media sites. Uh, those include Twitter at alwaysanotherpod instagram at always another pod and mastodon at always another pod at kind.social uh, i should also point out uh, because it has been brought up multiple times actually recently uh, if you're looking at the uh, the episodes without spoilers posts that beth puts up uh, read the alt text on the images there is alt text oh god alt text is good <laughs> Those jokes were just for me. <laughs> then you shouldn't have typed them into a public website. And that's why the cops are going so. right now. <laughs> no, please. All right. Arrested for internet jokes. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, that will be it for our episode here. Uh, I'm looking forward to recording our next one and seeing... Uh, how long it takes us to kind of get into the swing of the book here and figure out what the plot of this book is. What's this book about? What's this book about?
fuck him out though. 